that that fire was particularly, particularly scenic favorite. Every single of the planet is considered an issue. And we were publishing 10, 12, 15 papers a year. And then I went to Boston University School of Medicine, did fellowship at cardiology at the Whitaker Cardiovascular Institute, where we continued trying to figure out, you know, how to make nitric oxide-based therapies. Spent a couple of years there, then I was recruited to join the faculty at University of Texas Medical School in Houston. I think in 2005, by Fred Murad, one of the other gentlemen that shared the Nobel Prize. So when I got to the University of Texas Medical School in Houston, I got a startup package where we could buy all the analytical equipment that I developed and helped optimize during the previous sport. And so for the first two years, I did nothing but enable patents. So meaning that we, I had these concepts that I thought, okay, if we could produce nitric oxide, or develop technologies that could deliver nitric oxide gas, and it's authentic. That would have extreme therapeutic. So I did that, and we went, and I would contact the Office of Technology Management, and they would come in, like, I got this great invention. Look at me like I had three eyes. They didn't understand it. No one understood it. But I was persistent, and I kept telling, look, here's what we're trying to do. There's, I think, significant intellectual property here. Just file the patents. So finally, they started filing. Two to three years later, those patents. And standard with kind of academia, the, the model in academia is if you've got technology or patents, then the model is to license it to existing companies, just get a royalty from that, generate it. But there were no nitric oxide companies at the time. So there was no one to license it to and no one that was interested in it. So I started my own company and we began to commercialize and productize the, the concepts and the tech. Was then started the first company in 2009. We've got three other companies, four companies developing nitric oxide based technologies, every single market segment around the world. So we've done it in dietary supplements and nutrition. We've done it in skincare and beauty and we've done it in athletic performance get drugs through FDA clinical trials now for coronavirus, as well as uh, INDs being submitted for Alzheimer's, ischemic heart disease, and taking our topical nitric oxide and developing it into topical drug for diabetic ulcers and getting really amazing results. We're seeing three and four-year-old non-healing ulcers apply our nitric oxide topically and within 90 days we can but it's all about blood flow and getting blood flow to a, to a wound to where you get granulation and the amount of nitric oxide we're generating through our topical is antimicrobial. So a non-healing wound typically is infected. It has low, little blood flow, low blood flow. All right. So we accomplish both of those. We kill the infection and we get blood flow to the wound. When you do that, the body heals itself. So that's what we've learned over 20 years is. If you give the body what it needs, the body heals itself. An important missing component in most functional medicine, integrative medicine has been the nitric oxide piece. Because without adequate blood flow, without oxygen delivery, without circulation, then those cells fail and they can't do their job. Right. So we have to be able to open up the blood vessels, deliver oxygen, deliver the nutrients, 
the body heals itself. What's fascinating about this whole concept that you mentioned, you dedicated, you have been dedicating your life for this. Um, 2009 is when you mentioned you, you started your company. Biochemistry is very progressive. It's a very progressive field. In fact, in the last 10 years alone, think about all the advancements that we've discovered and even like things like autophagy and mitochondrial biogenesis 20, 30 years ago was unheard of. And so when you say like, okay, no one's understanding nitric oxide, the way I understand it now from a biochemical reaction, it's everything. Like it's every reaction from a circulatory standpoint, because if you're talking about blood flow, people refer to the heart as the main part of circulatory uh, problems, but it's not, it's just a pump. It's the blood vessels. It's the highways. That's it. Right. And so if you have, uh, labs taught us this, if you're looking at cardiovascular inflammation markers, then you're looking at brain inflammation markers too, because you have poor circulation occurring in your brain. If you're a diabetic, then you have poor circulation everywhere. That's right. Right. And so I would imagine uh, nitric oxide plays a role in all this. And so um, for people who uh, don't understand uh, organic chemistry, I remember that, that's what you're referring to. I, I, I didn't like organic chemistry. But here we are. <laughs> and, uh, and so uh, nitrogen, uh, nitrogen will uh, mess with oxygen. Uh, it's, no, it's oxide. It's a, it's, it's a different form of it, right? right. And so um, there's um, a system in play called the NOS system, right? And this NOS system uh, has a good and a bad side, I guess you should say. Right. Okay. Now, can you elaborate a little bit more on that? Yeah. So the, the NOS is what's called nitric oxide synthase. And that's the enzyme that's found. It's found in endothelial cells that line all blood vessels throughout the body. It's found in neurons and it's found in our immune system. So this enzyme under normal healthy condition, when it's activated, converts arginine into nitric oxide, the nitric oxide gas diffuses into the underlying smooth muscle where it relaxes the blood vessels and causes vasodilation. It diffuses into the lumen of the blood vessel where it prevents inflammation, oxidative stress, and immune dysfunction, prevents platelets from sticking to the lining of the blood vessel. And so that's the second to second regulatory aspects of nitric oxide from neurons firing, retrograde messaging, across the presynaptic cleft. And then kind of what you talk about the dark side, and it's really not a dark side, it's how our body's designed. But when we and the best example is, you know, let's use COVID for an example. It's, we've survived this over the past two years. When we're infected or we're exposed to a pathogen, whether it's a virus or a bacteria, then our body recognizes that and it goes, I need to mobilize my immune system and kill that infection. So what do you do? You mobilize your immune response through dilation of the blood vessels, go to the site of infection, which in respiratory virus like COVID, is in your uh, epithelial cells of your airways. And then those immune cells go to the site of attachment, generate a lot of nitric oxide over a short period of time and shut down viral replication. Or if it's a bacterial infection, it shuts down bacterial response. And then we're exposed, but we don't get sick because our immune system is able to mobilize, generate nitric oxide and shut it down at the site. And the virus doesn't replicate it with free. So that's how the body's designed to work. And people that can't make nitric oxide, they get exposed to a pathogen. They can't elicit an immune response because they can't mobilize their circulatory system. And then the immune cells become compromised where they can't generate nitric oxide. Then the virus attaches, it replicates, proliferates throughout the body. People get sick, leads to low oxygen saturation. They put you on a vent, you feel on a vent, you die. And that's the sequence of events that occurs. It's not just COVID, it happens in the flu. Same people that are susceptible to COVID at the same time. 
or susceptible seasonal. And so the problem, that's how our immune system is designed to work. You generate this nitric oxide through the NOS enzyme, and then once you generate it, it shuts down. Now, in chronic inflammatory disease, that's where kind of the bad side of that works. Because you're chronically inflamed, and our body is designed to generate nitric oxide to suppress inflammation. And when we're chronically inflamed, our immune cells become chronically activated, and we generate a lot of nitric oxide over a long period of time. And then that leads back to what's called to a feedback inhibition, and it shuts down nitric oxide systemically. So when we published this, I think in 2004, like ulcerative colitis, Crohn's disease, inflammatory bowel disease, there's a lot of inflammation and nitric oxide being produced in the colon, in the epithelial cells. But if we take the blood vessels from those animals, they have severe endothelial dysfunction. So you have to maintain normal constitutive nitric oxide production, which then, you know, it's supposed to suppress the inflammation, but if you're constantly exposed to some, something, an allergen or a pathogen that's causing chronic inflammation, then there's no off switch. And that leads to some pretty bad consequences. But I tell people it's not, nitric oxide is not the bad guy in that pathology. Mm -hmm. Nitric oxide is there trying to do its job. It's just, we haven't removed ourselves from the fending agent or the toxin. And so it's our immune system trying to keep an, keep an eye on it. So you can read the literature and people go, well, you, nitric oxide's bad in this condition. And well, the analogy is if someone breaks into your house, the cops are going to come, hopefully. Right. So just because the cops are there didn't mean they caused the crime. Right. They're there trying to organize things and prevent uh, further damage. And that's what nitric oxide does. Gotcha. Interesting. Yeah, uh, I like that analogy. <laughs> so with uh, nitric oxide, uh, cardiovascular disease, for example, you would have, I guess, in this case of chronic inflammation, whether it's um, a low-level arthritic condition, maybe it's even low-level like processed carbs, you know, like chronically going in, negative thoughts. That's can, right. Right? So if you have this and then you have um, what essentially can be microvascular tears and damage into arteries because of this – then you have a deficiency of nitric oxide that would help open up circulation. That's right. And, and that's, that's a main cause of cardiovascular disease, right? Well, there's a sequence of events here that happens. So the early inflammatory response, you bring up a good point of processed carbs or fine carbs. So when you get hyperglycemia, the sugar sticks to the NOS enzyme and renders it dysfunctional. So then you're not making nitric oxide. But in other, whether it's rheumatoid arthritis or whether it's, you know, any type of inflammatory condition, exposure to toxins, or, you know, the frequency of bad thoughts or emotions. You know, in biochemistry, we, we, we track electrons, right? So there's a certain frequency that has to, you can transfer electrons. And so emotions, bad thought will affect, affect that frequency and disrupt nitric oxide production. So it's kind of a feed forward. It's this perpetual cycle that once you get oxidative stress or hyperglycemia or diabetes or inflammation, that uncouples the NOS enzyme, and it no longer generates nitric oxide, it generates superoxide. And then you've got this oxidative stress, inflammation, and immune dysfunction that occurs in every single chronic disease. The beauty of what we've discovered is that it's self-correcting. So if you recouple the NOS enzyme, then you shut down superoxide production from the NOS enzyme. And then if you generate nitric oxide, you recouple the electron transport chain. So you prevent the electron leakage and oxidative stress in the mitochondria. 
and then you downregulate NADPH oxidase, which is another main producer of superoxide and hydroxyl radical that leads to oxidative stress. So that's the oxidative stress side of it. And then when we address the inflammatory component, the first stages of inflammation are when immune cells start sticking to the lining of the blood vessel. We call this microvascular inflammation. So you get an upregulation of adhesion molecules in the endothelial cells. Then our blood vessels become like Velcro. Everything sticks, including platelets, monocytes, neutrophils. And then you've got kind of a traffic jam through these microvessels. And then the downstream tissue becomes hypoxic. They're depleted of any nutrients and oxygen, and they fail. So what we have to do is we have to suppress the inflammatory response. If we reproduce nitric oxide or give our nitric oxide technology, you downregulate those adhesion molecules, and you prevent the microvascular inflammation, you dilate the blood vessel, and you more efficiently deliver oxygen to those downstream tissue. So the beauty, the science is very complicated. The beauty is that it's self-corrected. Yep. And you can do this simply by restoring nitric oxide production. Correct. And so what's fascinating about this is I've understood it as it's its own pathway, right? Like I've, we've studied a lot of the methylation cycle, for yep. example, right? That's its own separate pathway. Sure. But, but NOS is fascinating because when you start talking about NOS, you start, you brought up mitochondrial health and oxidative oh, yeah. stress which affects every disease. Every disease is oxidative stress, which means the particular cell in question, brain cell, liver cell, heart cell, has compromised mitochondrial function. That's right. Right? So in a sense, if you were to say, what do I need to do to promote health and optimize uh, mitochondrial rejuvenation or mitochondrial health? And uh, with, with nitric oxide and an OS system, that is a gene or an enzyme, sorry, a, an enzyme uh, that directly affects mitochondrial health, like you said. That's right. Now, uh, mitochondrial biogenesis, uh, just to kind of geek out a little bit. In the last 20, 30 years, we talked about progression. Mitochondrial rejuvenation is the ability to make new mitochondria. Your body, like you said, it's a self-correcting method. If you allow it to, it won't be able to do that if you're unhealthy and you're overweight and you're not sleeping that well. Let's be honest. If you're but, blocking pathways in so many different ways. But that's that's the thing. If you're blocking the, the pathways, what you're doing with the poor sleep and the processed carbs is you're blocking this pathway. NOS that directly targets the mitochondrial health. And it's like an on-off switch. If you've turned it on the off, then that mitochondria is not going to be healthy. It's going to die off quicker. And your body's not going to be able to come and replace it and make a new one, right? That's right. And so it's it's fascinating because uh, I, I read about, and Baldo, we've studied mitochondrial autophagy. Like yep. we've studied a lot of autophagy. Um, there's another couple of, uh, I guess, enzymes or genes, uh, I guess more enzymes, AP, uh, AMPK, uh, and, and then uh, there's also uh, sirtuins, which are found, there's there's numerous, like seven sirtuins, right? But there was this one master gene that he's talking about you need to activate. You need to activate all those as switches that unlock PGC1-alpha. That's right. Now, and then when you get there, you get mitochondrial rejuvenation, and it takes a while to get there. My question is, out of the bigger picture of all that, you know, we've heard a lot of talk about sirtuins. Right, and everyone talks about sirtuins. Is why when you take NAD and this is you know, like yeah. NMN and metformin, this and all that. And I say, but no one's talking about NOS. That's right. All right. So how does that make you feel when you hear about these other enzymes and everything? Well, it's part of the pathway. I mean, you can't that the activation of PGC one alpha and mitochondrial biogenesis is dependent upon nitric oxide production. Right. So you can give sirtuins. You can activate this pathway. You can stimulate, activate till the cows come home. But if that enzyme, the NOS enzyme, isn't functional, you're not going to get that genetic expression, PGC1-alpha activation, and the mitochondrial biogenesis. So these were pu data published 
probably back in almost 20 years ago, maybe in the late 90s, that nitric oxide is what was required for mitochondrial, mammalian mitochondrial biogenesis. So the beauty of that is if you fix the NOS system and you generate nitric oxide, then you can do all these things you talk about and actually get the end result. So you complete the cycle. Wow. Whether it's AMP kinase, you know, metformin or uh, glucophage, all these things, that pathway, AMP kinase, tells the nitric oxide synthase enzyme to turn on and make nitric oxide. But if the enzyme isn't functional, then you don't get the nitric oxide benefits of that. So we have to fix the NOS enzyme for all these pathways that are very well elucidated. In order for them to work, they're dependent upon nitric oxide. And that brings up a good point because people who want to use the term optimize and the biohack (laughs) term of all that, you know, I I look and I say, well, you're not optimizing if your NOS system is the inhibited one, right? right? And so you could say you can do all the biohacking you want, That pathway is is really messed up, and the feedback system is years and years of you doing this. You just can't just undo it after a few months, right? That's right. Yeah, and the beauty of that, so nitric oxide not only affects the mitochondrial biogenesis through that pathway, but it also affects mitochondrial function. So the purpose of the mitochondria are to take oxygen and convert it to ATP. So right. Energy. Yeah. right. So when that, and it's a very complex, you know, there's, five different complexes along the mitochondrial electron transport chain. If one of those complexes becomes disrupted, then you get electron leakage, you get oxidative stress, and you get poor energy production. So the the mechanism on how nitric oxide affects that is very clear. It can affect uh, complex one, and it it complex four, cytochrome C oxidase. So what that does then, it prevents electron leakage. So then you get the net effect of that is you have more mitochondria generating more energy more efficiently with less oxygen. You really become a well-oiled, well-primed, optimized mitochondrial machine. So you allow oxygen to diffuse further into tissue. You get more mitochondria produced with less oxygen. So the, the net of that is, especially if you're an athlete or performance, yeah. then you get better recovery because you're, you're, you're pushing that anaerobic threshold back. You don't get the lactic acid buildup because you're still undergoing normal mitochondrial respiration. It- Go ahead. No, I was going to say, so what was it last year that we read that uh, the future of medicine, it's uh-huh. a mitochondrial book. And, and the thing that I added was, was well, we've been doing that for a little while, but NOS, uh, it, was a, yeah. it was a nitrous oxide pill that Zymogen makes and then, uh, and then CoQ10, right? Because it helps complete that cycle. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Can you, can you tie that in real quick? Because I, because for performance, what I've noticed is that I, when I do those three in combination, like I'll do a shot and do those pills and then I wait 20 minutes and then go for a run. I don't like at six mile run or like if I do a 10 mile run, usually at six miles, I start to taper. Usually I get a second wind. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Which is, which is crazy, right? Because now what, what's going on there? So now I'm just, well, you're, you're more, you're, you're efficiently utilizing oxygen. So your body is just more efficient to where you don't tire. You're not building up lactic acid. And so you can perform better, longer. That's yeah, no. And then it's fascinating because I've tested it already. It's like, well, I'm going to go for a 10 mile run. It's like, dude, I'm, I'm starting to get tired. When I do the combination of those three things, it's like second win. And I'm, I can even go faster now. Right. Now, let me, let me ask you this because you, you talked about the uh, NOS uh, affecting the complex four, right? Yeah. Is it that's the nitric oxide that's generated from the NOS, so not the enzyme itself. Really? So NOS is generated. Well, I also thought water was also 
coming, like two droplets of water come from the, the no, floor. That's right. So you reduce molecular oxygen in the H2 water and ATP. So you're making your own more, you're making more water for yourself. That's right. That's why you feel recovered. Correct. No, I mean, we kept, and we keep talking about like, well, how do we make ex- our own water. extract that water so we don't have to drink any more water? But I was, we were in the desert and I was like, okay, what do you need out here? You need water, right? Well, how do we make our own water? Cause you know, like plants store it, mm-hmm. you know, like, you know, uh, cactus will store it up. And then we're reading, I said, well, mitochondria, it makes our water. That's why our body is like, what, 70, 80% water? It's like, because it's all coming from the mitochondria. The anaerobic versus anaerobic aspect of the, how the body responds is fascinating. So go, I just want to kind of not overstep this, but you mentioned lactic acid. Arginine helps vasodilate muscles for athletes who use too much um, force and not enough oxygen in their exercise which means they go into anaerobic exercise and produce more lactic acid because they have more micro tears in their fibers of their muscles because they're not elastic now, right? They're not expanding. There's no blood flow going in. So they tear them, right? And then what happens is the soreness, delayed onset of muscle soreness comes on and then repairing is lactic acid because what happens is I think, if I'm correct, the arginine and the nitric oxide system will go towards the production of more lactic acid than they will like EONOS. Now, the, pro- the problem is... to for that NOS enzyme to convert arginine to nitric oxide, mm-hmm. there's at least six cofactors that are required, and oxygen's one. So when you run out of oxygen, the NOS production of nitric oxide ceases. That's it. That's it. There's, it's dependent upon oxygen. So anaerobic exercise will not get you there? No, not through the NOS pathway. The other pathway, what we've discovered, is through diet, through nitrate found in green leafy vegetables and the bacterial reduction to nitrite, if you titrate up your plasma and tissue levels of nitrite and then you run out of oxygen, under low oxygen, that nitrite is reduced to nitric oxide. So now you've got a compensatory backup mm-hmm. mechanism for generating nitric oxide that compensates for the loss of NOS produced. Gotcha. So then that will also can contribute to ammonia, right? Yeah, that's the problem with arginine. I mean, we're never limiting in arginine. So supplementing with arginine's never made sense to me. Okay. Because the, the, the problem is, and there's a number of clinical trials now demonstrating this, if you give arginine to a patient that has an uncoupled NOS, meaning that NOS enzyme isn't functional, then you're not only pushing more superoxide production, but you get an upregulation of arginase, which then diverts the arginine away from nitric oxide and excretes it as ornithine and through the urea cycle. Gotcha. And then you're basically going more in the, the urinary key, detox, right. which is okay, I guess, but it's not the intent. That's right. Well, uh, <laughs> something that gets brought up quite a bit with arginine here is that it helps with ED, right? With erectile dysfunction. Because well, it, it can if the enzyme, if the NOS enzyme is functional. But would uh, the NOS, would it be more efficient just, just to do a bunch of NOS? Because the problem is in people with erectile dysfunction, their NOS enzyme isn't working. Yeah. yeah. So when you try to stimulate vasodilation or increase blood flow and engorgement to the sex organs, you can't do it because your body can't make nitric oxide. That's the reason you have erectile dysfunction. Yeah, that makes sense. So let's go back to the most simplest ways that this <laughs> Breathe is Breathe more sometimes. Well, that, that's what I'm going into. <laughs> is the problem that we're not breathing correctly to begin with? Well, there's a number of problems. And again, <laughs> the same enzyme, the NOS enzyme that's in the endothelial cells, is also in the epithelial cells. Okay. Of our airway. Okay. And so if you have endothelial dysfunction, then you have epithelial dysfunction. Because the same conditions that lead to NOS uncoupling in the lining of the blood vessel will lead to NOS uncoupling 
Makes sense. In the epithelial cells. But what happens first, though? Well, it's usually the NOS uncoupling. So we've done these experiments, and it's published that the older you get, the less nitric oxide you're making by the NOS enzyme. The same thing, the older you get. So if we take, like my kids, for example, and I teach them to breathe, do nasal breathing, and then we measure the nitric oxide coming out of there, it's high. Right. And then you take, the older you get, I mean, I do the things to optimize my nitric oxide. So when I deep breathe, I can detect a lot of nitric oxide coming in. But you take the standard person off the, the streets who's, you know, has metabolic syndrome, a little bit overweight, inactive, poor diet. Mouth breather. But if, even if you train them to do nasal breathing, they don't generate oh, even nitric if oxide. Why? Because the enzyme is uncoupled. It, but, where, but where does the enzyme start uncoupling? It's usually through oxidative stress. And mechanistically, it's from the oxidation of tetrahydrobiopterin. So BH4 is one of these essential co- In fact, it's the rate-limiting step in nitric oxide production. And if you oxidize BH4, this NOS enzyme is it's like two twins that come together, and that allows for the flow of electrons. When it becomes uncoupled, then it, it uncouples. There's a disruption in the flow of electrons, and you no longer get nitric oxide being produced. So you have to preserve, we published on this in 2009, you have to preserve the BH4, BH2 redox status and prevent BH4 oxidation. If you can do that, then you can maintain NOS coupling and you get normal nitric oxide production. You know how I know about the BH4 is that there's a, it's connected to the neurotransmitter production of serotonin and dopamine. That's right. And without... And it's an essential cofactor in a lot of things, even methylation cycle. That, that's how I know it too. Well, I have on the board, I'll show you here in a second, the NOS oh, yeah. uh, versus RAS maybe? Or, or there's the, the opposite of the ROS system be when you have BH4 deficiency because there's a ratio, right? That's right. So the reactive oxygen species, again, if you don't have nitric oxide, you get an upregulation of uh, these reactive oxygen species. Basically, it's not being cleared out. That's right. Yeah. So, so reactive oxidative species essentially is oxidative stress coming from dysfunction, mitochondrial dysfunction, which means that um, inflammation has been so abundant in the body long term that now it's disintegrating cells in the body and they cannot keep up fast enough with fighting off the infection or whatever's causing the cell damage and they can't clean out their cells with the, cell, the, the cells that are damaged. Yeah, that's right. Because if you can't get the good stuff in, the bad stuff out, you get a buildup of waste material. You don't get autophagy. Clean out the old cells, build new cells because there's a limitation in raw material, right? You've got to deliver that to the cells in order for them to function. And you've got to take out the waste product. So let me ask you this then. Baldo, Baldo will love this question. He's the he's master faster. Um, can we <laughs> activate the NOS by autophagy and fasting? There, yeah, it's clear that, I mean, it's part of the sirtuin. Right? Way, right? Yep. So you activate that. <clears throat> but until you recouple the NOS enzyme, that is the most important takeaway, is that you have to recouple the NOS enzyme so that everything we're doing that's been shown in the scientific literature to activate whether it's longevity or autophagy, it's most of it's dependent, probably all of it's dependent upon nitric oxide production and the function of that enzyme. So until you've figured out how to recouple, how to couple it, and the only way to measure that is through these functional devices. It's called venous occlusion plethysmography. So you can, there's several devices on the market now, but you can, some get a fingertip probe that you basically occlude the blood flow in the brachial artery for five minutes. Obviously, the temperature in your finger will decrease, and you can measure that. Then after five minutes, when you release the cuff, that tissue's been starved of oxygen for five minutes. So the body's like, I need 
I need more oxygen. I need vasodilation. It tells our body to make nitric oxide. So if your, body, if your blood vessels can make nitric oxide, you get immediate what's called reactive hyperemia, and you can measure that. However, if you don't get that reactive hyperemia, then that tells us that your body is not making nitric oxide through the NOS enzyme. Wow. That is... That's a true measure of endothelial dysfunction. Now, this made me think, you've heard about these physical therapists that are basically wrapping arms for the occlusion. Right. This yeah. is what they're doing. For like it working creates, out and all that. For working yeah, out. So yeah, so blood yeah. flow restriction. Mm -hmm. Blood flow restriction, yes. So it's, re it's, it's basically, it's an adaptive effect. It's the same as going to high altitude to treat. Yeah. You're breathing in less oxygen, you're hypoxic. The body responds like, oh shit, I need more oxygen. How do you do that? Get to generate more nitric oxide to deliver more oxygen per unit time. So is is that what the the endothelial tissue needs as well? Is more oxygen at this point, or they just, and, and the and the coupling of the NOS on top of it? Well, the endothelial cells are kind of the what regulates basically all vasoactivity, right? The vasoconstrictive vasoactivity right. properties, and so it's the function of the endothelial cells that tells the downstream blood vessels that I need more oxygen need more nutrients because these cells are dysfunctional and need to be regenerated. Right. So without the function of the endothelial cells, and the NOS enzyme is just one of many, many enzymes in an endothelial cell. But from my perspective, in the little microcosm I live in, it's the most important because without the NOS enzyme, the function of the NOS enzyme, then nothing else is going to matter. You're going to get inflammation. You're going to get oxidative stress. You're going to get immune dysfunction. Right. That's the basis of chronic disease. But I'm trying to pinpoint right now, like the chicken or the egg, like what's starting first? Because essentially, if you're like, how would inflammation even arise in someone? Like, I mean, when you're 12 years old and you're healthy at 12 years old, you should not have inflammation. No, that's the key. Yeah. The second you start basically getting in your own way, introducing stressors that you don't need, you can build up a, a response of inflammation, acute inflammation that turns into chronic inflammation, right? So is it the breath work that's really the issue first that you're just like, I'm not breathing correctly. I'm not able to allow my endo, uh, epithelial cells to, to a couple the NOS and then at the same time be able to continue the couple uh, NOS through the uh, endothelial microvascular uh, circulation? Well, there's a clear sequence of events, and this is corroborated by clinical science. The loss of nitric oxide production precedes the structural changes you see in cardiovascular disease, whether it's through ultrasound and the carotid intermedia thickness, or whether it's things like myeloperoxidase or C-reactive protein or apolipoproteins, the loss of nitric oxide precedes those structural and biochemical changes by many years, sometimes decades. Wow. So it, the chicken or the egg, it's loss of nitric oxide. Once you lose nitric oxide, we call that endothelial dysfunction, then everything else progresses from that. So if you never develop endothelial dysfunction, you will never develop chronic disease. Wow. <laughs> and the number one killer of Americans for 85 years running is? Cardiovascular disease. Yeah. And to me, it's, it's simply unacceptable. There's unacceptable. There's billions of dollars spent. It's still the number one killer of men and women worldwide. It's also the one that doesn't get mentioned as much. Right? It's always like the second most, it's always, you always hear about the second and the third most killing yeah. thing. Cancer or prescription drug. Well, it's because we're addressing it completely wrong. Correct. We're going after the heart when the heart's not the issue. Every single chronic disease, whether it's vascular dementia, Alzheimer's, whether it's erectile dysfunction, kidney disease, lung disease, renal disease, it's endothelial dysfunction. Yep. The cells that are providing those organs with the nutrients and the oxygen they need have failed. 
they become hypoxic, ischemic, oxidative stress, inflammation. And that's the hallmark of every single chronic disease. So if you fix the endothelial cells, then everything else works better. We've demonstrated this in dementia patients and Alzheimer's that if we can, and whether you're doing functional MRI or spec scans, the problem in whether it's bipolar or dementia or uh, Alzheimer's or any neurological disease, there's a disruption in the regulation of blood flow in certain regions of the brain. And the clinical manifestation or neurological manifestations of that are different depending on which regions of the brain have lost or ischemic and hypoxic. So if we can restore blood flow to the brain, then those neurological conditions will resolve, provided your body has what's missing in those. Same thing with sexual dysfunction. We can open up the blood vessels through restoration of nitric oxide production. You can get engorgement. You have normal uh, sexual function. Same thing with the lungs. The problem in COVID is that you have pulmonary hypoxic vasoconstriction because they're hypoxic. The blood, the, the lungs try to shut down blood flow to hypoxic regions of the blood, of the lungs. Then you've got a very small portion of the brain trying to oxygenate the whole body, or the lungs trying to oxygenate the whole body. So when we restore nitric oxide, you open up the blood vessels of the alveolar or the, the bronchioles. You start perfusing that. You get good oxygen exchange. You improve oxygen saturation. It's like a natural ACE. And t it's a natural ACE2 inhibitor. Yeah. Yeah. That's so incredible. you do it naturally. It's called restorative physiology. Oh my gosh, that's incredible. So yeah. with the with the ozone therapy, is it is it activating the same thing? Is it doing? Is it working with the NOS system? Or the ozone is doing a lot of things. So number one, it's anti. It, it's killing a lot of bad things, whether it's virus or bacteria. But two, it's a supercharged oxygen, right? So you're basically getting, and many people are hypoxic. And so when you give that supercharged oxygen, you can actually wake those tissues up. And provided you can have the reduced tetrahydrobopterin and recouple the loss enzyme, then you can get better nitric oxide production. Yeah, so it's active because, I mean, we've been seeing wonders with it. We just started doing therapy with it, and yeah. it's yeah, ozone is really incredible. It, we've, uh, we have a hydrogen water machine behind us as well with the ozone, the hydrogen, um, you know, <laughs> we get carbonated water right here. I mean, it's just, I didn't like organic chemistry, but... The guy, <laughs> but it's funny. The guy I studied under, I studied under a Nobel Prize winner at Brown, and I'll never forget. He made us do the 3D shape, you know, composites of the molecules, and I'm studying the elements of the periodic table and selenium and zinc are the same things that people are deficient in all the time that lead to heart disease as well. And I'm like, oh my gosh, we're we're just these clusters of atoms uh, that you can basically <laughs> say. You're deficient in this, you're too low in ionization here, your polarity's way off, and your frequency is off the roof over here. <clears throat> that's right. We forget the basics. And I think that's the problem with medical school. You know, I taught in medical school for a number of years. And the curriculum doesn't allow for using what you've learned for eight years in college and medical school. Because the way it goes, the first year curriculum, you know, it's your biochemistry, it's your physiology, it's the basic sciences. And then the second year, you learn pharmacology. And then when you do your clinical rotations, it's all about diagnosis and, and pharmacology yep. and billing codes. Yep. So once you make a diagnosis, there's only a finite number of things that you're allowed to do as a physician to practice the standard of care to treat that patient. And it goes against everything we know about biochemistry and physiology. 
because our body is never missing an ACE inhibitor. Our body's never missing a cholesterol-lowering medication. But yet, that's what, how you treat the patient. So you have to go back and understand the biochemistry and figure out what goes wrong in this particular condition, and then how do we fix it? And that's the reason drugs have consequences and side effects is because when you, most drugs are inhibitors, right? You're inhibiting some enzyme that's overexpressed or overactive in whatever disease of interest it is. So you think, oh, if I inhibit that enzyme, then I can make them better. And short term, you do. I'm not saying that a lot of drugs work and they're very effective, but there's not a single drug that's ever been approved for use by the FDA that doesn't have side effects. Because when you inhibit something that the body is designed to do, there are consequences. Because it's like gears in a wheel, right? This reaction, the metabolites from this reaction feed into another. Yep. And if you stop this one, you're going to get a buildup of something here. Yep. And that has consequences. That's right. So what we do, and I think it's the new way of drug discovery, is that you recapitulate physiology. To figure out what goes wrong with that enzyme, we understand it's oxidation of BH4. We can provide the redox potential to recouple that, restore nitric oxide, and then our natural product chemistry that generates nitric oxide gas. If your body can't, we do it for you. Then your body is getting what it needs. And there's no inhibition of some major biochemical reaction or enzyme. And the body's allowed to do what it's to do. And there's no, no side effects from that. That's incredible. The more you probably went to school, the, re the more you realize like everything we ever needed in order to survive, we were already given. Yeah, that's right. That's one of the reasons I got out of academia because you can't in good conscience go and support the way they're treating, the way they're training people to take care of the sick patients. It's a completely wrong paradigm and it does not work. Yeah. And the evidence is clear. We spend more money per capita than any nation in the world and we have the sickest people. Nobody's getting better based following this medical paradigm that the Western societies used to think. Yeah, and go back to the basics. Well, the thing that we talk about all the time is that, yeah, absolutely that's true. And then behind that, it's that there's also no incentive for the doctors, for doctors or practitioners to continue to want to learn because, well, it doesn't matter how I practice if I don't, if I don't get paid by insurance, right? Like, so I have, so like I can learn all the things, but I still have to practice this way. Well, it's a, it's a beautiful system. It's a beautiful financial model. Yeah. <laughs> it's a horrible medical model. Yep. Because it's, as again, you, you spend a lot of money going to be a healthcare practitioner and you become dependent upon reimbursements. You only get reimbursed if you make a diagnosis and prescribe a drug that fits that particular diagnosis. Right. But nobody's getting better. There's no uh, nitric oxide uh, uncoupling, you know, syndrome is their diagnosis. <laughs> is there, is there right? any code? Yeah. <laughs> Is there any coding for NOS? No. No. I joke around with it you know, because we know, we know better. I mean, that's the, but it's fascinating. Uh, if I were to say uh, cardiovascular risk, okay, let's just say that that's the case. The standard of care is I'm looking at their lipids and there's no mention of nitric oxide at all. And you wonder why a patient gets put on statins, which is completely the wrong medication, and they still have heart attacks. Right. And you say, well, what could we have done? Now they have to have stents. Now they have to have a triple bypass. What could we have done? I'm thinking like, if you look at a heart, uh, especially one that has a, from a patient had a heart attack or triple bypass, the arteries, especially the left ascending, des uh, left enter descending, the Widowmaker, <laughs> major blocker, like 98% blocked usually in people with heart attacks. It is like the thinnest artery you've ever seen. There's no circulation going into that heart. And the heart is just basically an engine on a, on a, on a circuit. 
and you're thinking, if this is occurring in the heart, this is occurring in the feet, this is occurring in the liver. And what's fascinating is- uh, It's occurring in the brain. We, we saw a cardiologist talk to neurologists about MPO. And he says, if you're not ordering MPO on these people, you're doing a disservice to your patients because myeloperoxidase is a white blood cell that is basically released in times of what? White blood cell accumulation in the arteries from endothelial compromisation, uh, if that's a word, uh, from the NOS uncoupling, right? That's essentially this occurring in the heart. And right. that's why this heart test is there. One day I looked at Baldur, I was like, oh my God, the arteries, it's the same plumbing. It goes into the, oh my gosh, their brain's on fire. Their arteries are not even, it's like the widowmakers in their brain stroke. Yeah, you're exactly right. So it's like erectile dysfunction. Yeah. You have endothelial dysfunction in the sex organs. If you have endothelial dysfunction in the sex organs, you've got endothelial dysfunction in the coronary arteries and the cerebral arteries and the blood vessels that supply the kidney, the heart, the lungs, and, everywhere. And they're like, here's your Viagra. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> but, not, yeah but not affecting the, uh, the function of the endothelium. Is what's required. Right. And what's funny is the Viagra is very specific to the PEG5, I think, inhibitors. It, it has nothing to do with the heart and, and the brain as far as like increasing and reversing, like, uh, let's say, the, the endothelial dis dysfunction there, right? Right. Because that's what they were trying to do with Viagra originally. Well, the problem is, <laughs> is that you can potentiate nitric oxide based signaling because the PD5 enzyme acts downstream of nitric oxide. So when the nit if nitric oxide is produced, it binds to an enzyme called soluble cyclase that produces cyclic GMP, which is the second messenger. So these phosphodiesterase enzymes prevent the breakdown of cyclic GMP. And then cyclic GMP is what's causing the vasodilation. So nitric oxide turns the switch on, the PD5 inhibitors keep it on. Interesting. But the problem is we know that 50% of the men don't respond to PD5 inhibition therapy. And why is that? Because they're not making any nitric oxide to activate second messenger cyclic gene. Wow. Yeah, so those pathways are still closed. It is a disease. It's, it's an endothelial dysfunction disease. That's true. That's completely true. It's not true. a disease of overactive phosphodiesterase enzymes, so there's no reason to inhibit it. Wow. Get to the root of the problem. So it's not even testosterone. No, I mean, testosterone plays a role in it because, you know, testosterone activates nitric oxide mm. production or stimulates it. But again, only if the enzyme is active will you get NO produced from activation or stimulation. Can that be reversed too? NOS stimulate testosterone production? Yeah. In fact, nitric oxide, most secretory uh, glands or hormone glands require nitric oxide as part of the secretory process to secrete, whether it's from the pituitary or from the testes or ovaries, nitric oxide is part of that signaling mechanism to say, my body needs testosterone, I need to release it from an So in theory, if, uh, if ENOS, to be more specific, like just the coupled uh, NOS system, if it's being produced and activated, let's say this is occurring in the liver, that means you have better circulation uh, and less inflammation occurring in the liver, which means by default, the liver organ functions better. That's right. Which if it's an endocrine system uh, organ like the pancreas, then the pancreas functions better by making more hormones. It does. These organs sense what's in the blood, right? If there's no blood supply getting to that organ, how can the organ sense what it needs? Mm. It fails. So if your testes don't, aren't getting the response back of what's, how much testosterone is circulating throughout the entire body because the microvasculature that's providing that sensing mechanism isn't a reflection of what's happening because there's reduced blood flow. That, the, same thing with the pancreas, the liver. And so what happens is 
in the liver, get an elevation of liver enzymes. And then that tells us something's going on in the liver. And yep. we've shown, we published, I think, in 2011 that we can completely suppress the elevation in liver enzymes simply by restoring nitric oxide. I mean, this just blew my mind because then you think about like the TSH, right? You think about someone's thyroid issues. They don't have thyroid dysfunction. They don't have a problem with thyroid hormones. They it's have perfusion to the pituitary. Bingo. <laughs> yeah. Well, then that's, wow. why they, that's why they always say that the thyroid always presents the opposite of what it, like it, what's going on in your body is always the opposite of what you think yeah, the labs are showing. Yeah. But it, I, we've said <laughs> whatever's going on in thyroid is tertiary to the other hormones that are affected because now you basically just blew my mind. And, said, and like, all they do is take it out now, right? It's well, like, just take it out. Well, basically say this, <laughs> hormone balance is coupled NOS because that is the ultimate adaptogen because you're saying if you set that marker and system in order, then all your organs by default work better, which means if they're in the endocrine system, they make better hormones. Well, provided your body's able to. If you're taking a stat and your body's not able to use <laughs> cholesterol, then and you still need the nutrients. For, yeah, you or an opioid, or an opioid, or antipsychotic, like any medication for the most part, right? Like, you know what's fascinating? Metformin, I'm going to go back to this for a second. Our favorite is, preferred one is resveratrol, okay? The reason why is because metformin lowers CoQ10 amongst lowering B12 and B9, just like a statin. Statins and metformin lower CoQ10. CoQ10 is an antioxidant directly involved in the electron transport chain in the mitochondria. There's a deficiency as we age. The heart uses more CoQ10 than any organ in the body. Why in the world would you give a medication to a cardiac <laughs> patient that has nothing to do with what's going on and then yeah, suppress their sense. antioxidants? Makes no sense. Well, I think that's the reason we're not moving <laughs> the needle on Right, right. That's, that's exactly why. And it's frustrating because, you know, it's you're published and you probably have shown up on the American Heart Association website. I mean, which is incredible about it. And that means other cardiologists and even the so-called governing board looks at it and says, you know what? All this makes sense. We're going to allow it to be on our website. But what's fascinating about it is they literally say it makes sense. However, they put their arm back here and block the progression. So technology and biotech and even science will outrun advancements in medicine because medicine at this point right now is not interested in developing new drugs. They're not because they're making plenty of money with vaccinations and inoculations. What they're interested in is making more medical devices that they can build a lot of money through insurance with. So doctors are not gonna be trained on new pharmaceuticals, they're gonna be trained on new surgical devices. And what's fascinating is there will be such a disconnect from things like the NOS system and AMPK and PGC1-alpha to where like, I'll, I'll pick on them. Uh, I read Tony <laughs> Robbins book and it was a bunch of propaganda for pharmaceuticals. It was say, spend all your money on all these big expensive things like peptides and NAD and all that stuff. And there was no mention of if you go outside and go to the sunlight and learn how to breathe through your nose and sit on the ground for 30 minutes at a time, you'll be healthier than all these other people walking around <laughs> drinking yeah. and eating paleo. Right? That's true. Well, it's, it's crazy because so our story was that he was working in pain care before. And as you can tell, he understands biochemistry really well. Not only that, but he can also explain it to people very easily. But he was stuck in the system and he's like had a breakdown and had a conversation with me. And I was like, dude, well, we'll just, why don't we just like start our own business? Like, oh, it doesn't work that way. Right. So finally, we decided we're going to open a business. And for me, it was just like, this doesn't make any sense. Like that doesn't like, why can't we just do this like in business? It's in business. It's always like uh, supply and demand, right? And, and and I was like, how do how do things get more expensive when we're ordering more? And, and it, little things like that from a business perspective just didn't make any sense. So then we had to play with our marketing, and we just invented, well, not invented, but we just started in give, giving away free B twelve shots. 
Yeah. And that was it. And it was like the freebie tail shots let people want to get educated. And then from there, we just took it from two plenty of other levels but the frustration at the beginning from someone that had no medical background was i don't this doesn't none of this makes sense if you're saying that this is how it works and i trust you yeah why don't why doesn't it work that way <laughs> what you're seeing here is you fast forward because when he started wanting to know supplements i was like dude i'll teach you all about supplements but then you fast forward now you are um uh, a scientist by all means of it. I love it. Uh, we are scientists here because we have our own labs, but we're clinical. Yeah. And it's very rare that clinical and research meets, which is unfortunate, right? Because like I said, you're creating all this groundbreaking research. And that's why I said, you're like this person I got to talk to because the newest research is coming from you. But then when you go and you say, okay, well, what's the clinical application? It doesn't fit in and it's like fitting a square into a circle peg. It just does not work. Yeah. And I'm just like, why would we continue this model? It's chaos. It's organized chaos at what it is. And it, but it's all designed that way. So then what Baldo says is like, we create a whole new system, a whole new model. Play a whole new game. And yeah. so we, so and we take we cash <laughs> and we take cash for it, which still the insurance is like, how do you survive? I'm like, very well, fine. <laughs> you know, without your intervention, it's very different. Without having to pay someone to follow up for three months, you know, like, but of you, course. <laughs> but you've also seen how much insurance still plays a role. Oh, yeah. For example, uh, one of the tests that we recommend, and anyone listening, uh, is called a calcium score test. You've, you know about this. It's a $75 test, I think, that you don't even need a prescription for. You can go to any imaging center, and they will look at uh, the calcification of your arteries, atherosclerosis, in real time and see how bad it is. We have clients to go and do that. And then they come in and they do the blood work with us. And we see the outside of the artery and the inside of the artery. And you know what's fascinating? I told you before you came on, none of that talks about NOS. Like there's no talk about NOS. So we're guessing. That's why we're asking all these questions. Like, well, how do you measure the NOS? You're like, well, you really can't. I'm like, you're right. Because by the time we're measuring anything, it's almost like it's too late. Yeah, I think going back to the, it's a, it's an uphill battle because you're going against very powerful forces, whether it's the American Medical Association or where it's Big Pharma, that has a really strong financial interest in protecting their turf. What we do, what you guys do, is very disruptive to that model. And so we recognize that early on. And so my philosophy when we started the companies was just do the right thing. Yep. You know, people get into business, try to make money. I think that's an important We Everybody has to pay bills. But if you focus on doing the right thing, it takes longer, but then the cash register will ring. Oh, yeah. Because people, people can no longer ignore this. And we've been doing this now for 12 or 13 years, and we're seeing the life-changing benefits of what we're doing. And so to me, going back to this whole notion of cardiovascular disease still killing people, number one killer worldwide, we know what causes cardiovascular disease. We know how to detect it, both non-invasively and through functional tests and through labs, and we know how to fix it. So the problem isn't lack of knowledge or the lack of science. It's the implementation. Yep. Mm -hmm. So, and it's about awareness and education and not, we, we took the wrong approach early. We thought we had to go train the physicians. Yep. That's the wrong approach. We have to go and we have to empower the patient. The, yeah. Yep. And the consumers, because there's not a single doctor in the history of the world that's ever healed a patient. The patient healed themselves yep. at some point. It wasn't the drug. Somebody figured it out, and then the body healed itself. It wasn't the drug. So what we have to do is, going back to what you guys do, and the reason I think this is so powerful, 
that we have to reach the masses. Yep. And then help them understand in what you do, taking a very complex biochemistry and making it digestible and understandable to somebody walking in your door saying, why have I been sick for 20 years and been to every doctor and I'm not getting better? Yeah. And now two weeks here, I'm better. And, and, and easy to afford, right? Because even like if you're doing it early enough, you don't have to spend a lot of money. You just, just a little bit here and there, right? Like, I mean, just like anything else. Well, it's an investment. Correct. It's easier to prevent disease than it is to treat it. And it's certainly cheaper. It's and, very cheap. And so this company, How Do You Health, it's, that was, that's its mission, right? The mission is, is like, hey, let's educate the masses and let them choose for themselves because people will choose what's best for them and what actually does work. The, the problem is that they just don't know better, right? Sometimes, sometimes doctors don't know better. And, and that's also unfortunate, but but it's the truth, right? Because again, there's no incentive for them to want to know more because they have to do things well, a certain the, way. Here's the, the more frustrating part is that we, I train a lot and speak at a lot of medical events where some allopathic, straight allopathic doctor come and some more functional integrative and they get it. So, you know, they have this epiphany, they go, the way I've been treating patients for the past 20 years isn't working. Patients keep coming back, they're not better. And they go, am I really that good of a doctor? <laughs> so they get the light switch on, but then they read the frustration is they can't integrate this into their practice because then they got the boards that come after them yep. because they're practicing medicine outside of standard of care and their financial model doesn't work because if they're not diagnosing or prescribing, they're not getting reimbursed from the insurance companies. So it's, it's a very powerful force that people have to overcome. But I think without a doubt, the current healthcare system will implode upon itself. It's happening now yeah, yeah. and it'll fall apart. We'll pick up and, and a new way forward. It, that's probably the most logical explanation of what's happening right now that I've heard <laughs> a while. Cause we talked about this. You like you, it's such a powerful model that you cannot go after it. It's just, there's too much money, too much influence. But then like you just said, it's imploding. I, I've, you know, Take what you want from the world. It's glass half full, glass half empty. If anything has taught you in the last two years, it's that the healthcare model, at least in America, is completely broken. And people can see that. Even the ones who are the most unhealthiest are now saying, yeah, my doctor couldn't help me at all last year, you know, when I was sick. Didn't even want well, they wouldn't even the take me. They wouldn't take me on they as a patient. They couldn't even come in. I couldn't yeah. come in. If I went to the hospital, they couldn't <clears> help me there, you know. So then people were either, they said, I got to take care of myself, or they said, well, I'm packing it in and I'm just not caring. So- there will be, and I thought about this a lot too, there'll be a lot of people out there who probably will not listen to this message, right? But there'll be a lot of people who will. Now imagine to change the universe, it changes one world's, uh, one person's mind, right? So then you say, did you know that heart disease uh, starts with learning how to breathe through your nose? And you're like, what? And like, yeah. If you breathe through your nose, that's helpful. The other day you told me about antiseptic and you said antiseptic uncouples your NOS system. And you're like, wow, how many people use antiseptic every day, <laughs> right? And it t tears up their microbiome and their digestive tract. And you're like, yep, if you have poor circulation, you have a poor digestive tract. And that was interesting because we didn't even talk about the digestive tract yet. But I mean, now you have lungs, the heart, the digestive tract, the brain we've talked about. And you're thinking like, okay, what's the most simplest approach? You talk about education, right? So I look at this idea of saying, how can we teach our, our youth? You mentioned kids, right? So my kids, I tell them that breathing is good for their heart and good for their brain. And if they do it outside under the sun, they're going to be healthier. 
And if they're able to stretch and move around and eat healthy food, they just got to keep doing that for a long time. A long time. <laughs> this is just how you do it. But now that we live in a world where people want immediate gratification. I get that. good health, there's not much immediate gratification. It's hard work. It's, it's very hard work. It's hard work staying healthy, especially in today's world. It is. So you make it as convenient as possible. So then you say, <laughs> okay, okay, so in my hand, I think I still have it. Oh, yes, I do. Okay, cool. So I gave a, a talk yesterday on vitamin D, okay? So in my hand is vitamin D. 3,000, uh, vitamin D, uh, 5,000 units with vitamin K2. It's one pill, and this is 5,000 units. Most vitamin D is like 800 units, not enough, right? You, everyone should be taking vitamin D. Everyone should be supporting NOS systems. But convenience, the tiniest little pill. And this thing has been shown to be low in people, vitamin D, across the board. Heart disease, Alzheimer's, people with COVID. And so you're thinking like, what can a person do? I'm like, can you take one little pill a day? And then afterwards, can you go outside under a tree and sit down and learn how to breathe with the sun hitting you? And if you don't have the sun out there, that's fine. Still go outside and listen to the birds or, the, you know, whatever. And what's incredible is that no doctor is going to say that because they weren't taught that. And that, but, but you're right. They but weren't by design. Be compensated for that either. Right. But <laughs> then we should say by now, because the system's about to implode, we should not give focus to that anymore. We should not give energy to that. We shouldn't be upset about it anymore because you know what? They've done it to themselves. I drive by the TMA building every day and I used to flick it off. And now I'm like, bye-bye, you know, because you're, yeah. you're done. Like, you're done. No one wants to go to a doctor anymore. No one wants to go to medical school anymore and try to save the world because you're like, you're not. You can't. Yeah. You can't. You just won't. A doctor will not help people be healthy. That's the saddest thing in the world. And what did uh, Edison say? Um, the doctor of the future will not prescribe medications. He'll teach you on diet, nutrition, and healthy living. And it's still true to this day. So, you know, I know that you probably speak to... Like I said, tons of different audiences here. Uh, I think this is probably one of the best <laughs> ones we geeked out on. Yeah, honestly. <laughs> you know, we're able to sometimes. We're sometimes able we're not to. able to. We're <laughs> able to. But uh, I, I thank you for your research. As one clinician uh, to uh, – or one scientist to another, really. And yep. I, you're a scientist too. <laughs> Science is real. Science is the most real thing. It's language. It's an understanding. It's communication. It's something that's written down in a book, uh, the true written word that's passed along. Uh, I've been studying Da Vinci, and he talked about, uh, he found the camera abs abs absurda, which is basically how the light's reflected into our eyes. And the only reason he discovered that is because he broke into the cadaver room and would steal cadavers to basically operate them to figure out that Galileo and Plato and all them were wrong, <laughs> and Hippocrates was wrong. <laughs> basically, he said, I want to I wanna prove you wrong. And you as a scientist, like, cool, do it. Because like, that means that, that, that means we're progressing, right? So your research is proving and paving the way for people like us to basically go and continue to make those disruptions. But without you, we wouldn't have references. Yeah. yeah. Well, so I think science, science is the way forward. I think it's been bastardized over the past two years um, by the so-called experts who haven't relied on the science at all, but they throw that word out there. So I think we have to get back to, you know, the, the true meaning of science. Yeah. And science doesn't exist without questions. I mean, that's how we advance science. You, you make one discovery and it changes the way we thought, you know, 30 years ago. And then the new discovery will change the way we thought from this. So it's, it's a progression of learnings. And that's how science advances. And, you know, science is only important if we can implement it in the clinical care. The, bi the life sciences, the biomedical sciences. So that's my job is to give you clinicians the tools that you need to 
treat, diagnose, prevent, and cure chronic disease. That's wonderful. That they, they say you, they say you can't say this cures, treats, or diagnoses anything, but you know, it's fascinating. I don't like labels. <laughs> um, I've never seen anything cured, honestly, other than by the person themselves doing sure. it. And we're not treating anything. Are you kidding me? All I'm saying is go outside and go play in the dirt. <laughs> yeah, that's a therapy. If you need a prescription to not look at your cell phone, here it is. Don't look at your cell phone for 30 minutes a day the next five weeks. That's what people need to be heard. And, uh, and that's fine. But I'm telling you, you don't need it. The best doctors are already in nature. And if you don't know where to go, uh, talk to a person who knows uh, how to watch a plant grow. <laughs> Or paint dry. <laughs> watch it. Yeah. No, no. Paint. Watch a plant grow because there's tons of science behind that. And you're like, there's chlorophyll being made and it's giving off oxygen. Well, I thought you were. I thought you were referring also to just the fact of like, can you just sit there and like not do anything for oh. a little bit? You know, sometimes we, we're so like in society, we're just like we have to be doing something. It's like, dude, chill out. You no, know? you don't. <laughs> That's your job. But uh, Dr. Brian, where can people find you? Where where can they reach out to you? Um. I mean, social media seems to be the way <laughs> yeah. it communicates. I'm on Instagram at Dr. Nathan S. Bryan. Um, LinkedIn, we're searchable now. You can search my name and go to PubMed. You know, I still send people to PubMed to look for the peer-reviewed science, some of the discoveries and we've made. But yeah, and I've got an educational website, DrNathanSBryan.com. There's a six-minute video on there. We do a monthly blog, try to give people some kind of practical, real-life examples of how they can, as you said, make these simple twitches that will transform them. Sure. And for people who, I just want to, I, I want to I want to emphasize this. You said PubMed. You were the first person to come on our podcast <laughs> and say, go to PubMed. That's the world I come from. That's incredible. That's, that's all. That's we're all on there all the that, time. We, yeah. Well, that's all we study for references. And so, like I said, it's really incredible the work that you're doing. I look forward to your future research and one day when maybe you get the Nobel Prize and and then I'll be following right behind you. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, wonderful. yeah. Um, thank you guys so much. Well, uh, I mean, thank we're you. about to jump on, um, on, on Lunch and Learn and uh, we're going to talk to you about this festival that we're doing. Hopefully we can get oh, you yeah. onto that. And then, did we have a code for, for listeners or something? Is that HDYH 10% off and they can use that at, at, at what website? Uh, the n101.com and www.no2. So you can use those for 10% off. HDYH is the code. And this, uh, yeah, this, we'll, we'll keep in, we'll keep in touch for sure.